of, uh, of Jonah is animals. It's actually cattle in, in Hebrew. That's the, the animals that are being referred to. But uh, I, I just love that. You know, we've got a dog that we love and she's really on her last legs and it's going to be very sad when it comes time um, for her. But, uh, you know, as an animal lover, I just love that God actually takes an interest in animals and shows a concern for animals. It's not what we're talking about this morning, but uh, just love the fact that that's there. Well, today we arrive at the conclusion of our short excursion through the book of Jonah, a book that is most known for a whale, but as we have come to see, it really is a story about God's grace. Chapter 4 is a chapter of great contrast as we see the heart and nature of God in comparison to the heart and nature of the prophet Jonah. And the more and more I read Jonah, and particularly Jonah 4, I am struck by how patient God is. Yahweh is such a loving, patient father. And of course, his patience that he extends to the Ninevites is extraordinary. They're the most least deserving people. But God's patience with Jonah speaks to me, and I hope it speaks to you too. Jonah was a prophet, not just a follower, but a leader, a spokesperson for God, someone who the Lord chose to represent him. You know, when we think of biblical characters that we might aspire to imitate or draw inspiration from, Jonah is unlikely to reach the shortlist. And yet what encourages me is how real he is. He protests, he runs, he struggles, he argues with God. And God, the ever-patient Father, seems to somehow be okay with this. We don't see God scolding Jonah or giving him the boot Rather, he works with him graciously and keeps offering him second chances and opportunities to join his fatherly heart. For those of us who feel like we're not very good Christians, or to those of us who feel like faith is a minefield of questions that you constantly wrestle with, or to those who struggle with the extent and the extremity of God's love and grace, and would in fact prefer a God who is quick to punish evil and bring destruction upon people who dishonour his good name and abuse his creation. And to those of us who try as we may to flee from the grace and presence of God because we want life on our terms, not his. Well, the story of Jonah speaks a message of challenge, of hope, and of promise. The story of Jonah is a story for you. Let's pray. Father, as we just come to the conclusion of this short book of Jonah, we pray that what it is that you would have us hear today would be exactly what we hear We just invite your Holy Spirit now to penetrate our hearts and to impress upon us as a people what your message is to us today through your word, the book of Jonah. Again, Father, I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, 
but that we would be doers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if this book had ended at the last verse of chapter 3, history would have portrayed Jonah as one of the greatest prophets that ever existed. To preach one message and turn an entire city to repent towards God was no mean accomplishment. However, whilst humanity looks at the outward appearance and the achievements of one's outer success, God looks at the heart and he weighs a person's motives when he looks at their heart. Chapter 4 reveals the inner thoughts, reveals the motive, it reveals the heart of Jonah. And it exposes a very real struggle. It reveals a heart that doesn't love what God loves. In chapter 1, Jonah runs from God. He flees from God's presence. In chapter 4, Jonah wrestles with God. He's struggling with God. He doesn't agree with God's choice, with God's ways. One commentator helpfully observes that in chapter 1, Jonah is like the prodigal son, doing his own thing, going his own way. Then in chapter 4, he's like the prodigal's elder brother, critical, selfish, sullen, angry, and unhappy with what's going on. I thought that was a really helpful parallel, isn't it? Really interesting. You see, in chapter 4, we have a stark, contrasting picture of Jonah's heart and God's heart. And again, the grace of God is so magnificently on display in the way that he deals with Jonah's attitude. For the second time in this short account, Jonah prays. The first time, his prayer was in the worst place physically, the belly of a fish. But it was his best prayer. The second time, he is in a much better place physically, but spiritually he is sick. And this got me thinking about how easily we can judge a person, often rather exclusively through the lens of their physical situation. You see, Jonah was best spiritually when he was worst physically. Jonah had to arrive at the gates of Sheol, a place of death, before he finally turned his heart to God. When Jonah was no longer in control of his life and circumstances, God was able to move. And what a change we witnessed in Jonah's prayer of chapter 2. A person in a critically dire physical state may, in fact, be in the very best position to be brought to spiritual health. Jonah's first prayer came from a broken heart. His second prayer came from an angry heart. In his first prayer, he asked God to save him. But in his second prayer, he asked God to take his life away. Once again, Jonah would rather die than not have his own way. Jonah's anger stands out like a red thumb 
in chapter 4. He is so furious that on three separate occasions, verse 3, 8, and 9, he states that he wishes he was dead. He was so angry. And it got me thinking, is this anger justified? You know, and probably the best way for us to try and understand Jonah's out-of-control anger over Nineveh's repentance and God's forgiveness, we can only understand this in the light of how evil the Ninevites were. How bad were they? All we read in Jonah is that they were wicked. That doesn't give us a very clear description, though, does it, of what that wickedness entailed? We don't need to look very far in Scripture to learn more detail about the extent of Nineveh's evil deeds and reputation. The prophet Nahum, only another book across, so it goes Jonah, Micah, and then Nahum. Interesting little, another minor prophet. Three chapters long, very simple to read. It's all about Nineveh. And these are some details that Nahum writes about the wickedness of Nineveh. We read from Chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots. Charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. Not a very flattering resume, is it? Just from these short verses, we can see that Nineveh was known for its murderous behavior, prostitution and witchcraft. Their powerful army knew no bound in its bloodthirsty violence. Essentially, they were like terrorists to surrounding nations. They had a huge defense budget. Author James Bruckner writes, Nineveh reigned by terrorizing vulnerable non-combatants and innocents. Nineveh's intent intentional terror campaign included public displays of human body parts, active slave marketing, and public pride in their torture techniques. Now remember, these people were Israel's greatest enemies. I wonder how many Israelite victims had fallen prey to Nineveh's extreme violence. I wonder if Jonah had friends, maybe even family members, that had been terrorised or executed by the Ninevites. Now this is only speculation, but it might give us a small window of insight into why Jonah was so angry and didn't want to have anything to do with these horrendous people. These insights make more sense as to why he would run and not want to be associated with them. For all Jonah knew, if the Ninevites did repent, 
What's to say that they would remain repentant and change their ways in the long run? A culture of extreme pride and violence, after all, would be very hard to alter. God's relenting from destroying them could result in more terrorism in towns and cities of Israel. Clearly something Jonah did not want to be party to. You see, as we'll come to see in a moment, Jonah knew God's heart. And I think Jonah knew what could possibly happen. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. You can't really blame him, can you? (laughs) Jonah's just-kill-me-now attitude does seem rather melodramatic. But when you think about it, to be known as the prophet responsible for sparing this city punishment would not have been a popular position for Jonah to be in. Isn't that right, Mace? We were having a chat about this last Sunday. It's one thing for God's mercy to extend towards his people, the Israelites, even when they rebel. But it's an entirely other thing for God's mercy and grace and forgiveness to extend towards the enemy, the outsider. Now, in chapter 4, we see that Jonah is very quick to anger, which is contrasted with God who is slow to anger. Jonah's second prayer reveals the secret of why he ran away in the first place. Being a good theologian, Jonah knew the attributes of God, and he quotes a portion of Exodus 34 where God had revealed himself to Moses, that he was a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah had all along suspected that the Ninevites would repent and that Yahweh would relent, but he doesn't like it at all and he doesn't want to have any part of God's forgiveness. He does not approve of Yahweh's actions. Jonah has had enough of God's grace, compassion, slowness to anger and relenting toward the wicked. Jonah's over it. He's so distraught that death would be, prof- would be preferable to him. You see, the thought that he had been the agent of Yahweh's forgiveness to the enemy of his own people was just more than he could bear. Rather than witnessing their destruction, which would have been just, he has seen their repentance and God's mercy. Would anyone in Israel understand what he had done? For Jonah... Dying was better than living in that reality if the enemy lived. But the Lord is patient with Jonah and doesn't scold him for his anger, but rather poses a question Is it right for you to be angry? It's an interesting question. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it your place to be angry? What good does your anger bring about? God wants Jonah to examine his heart and see why he was really angry. Now, Jonah doesn't answer the question the first time. He simply walks away from the conversation. He's a conflict avoider. 
he goes outside of the city and decides to sit outside for the duration of this 40-day period. Obviously, those 40 days had not yet transpired. This could have been day two or day three. And Jonah had given this prophecy that in 40 days, destruction would come. And so there's a sense of him sitting on this sort of outer hill, looking at the city, hoping that God might still bring destruction upon these evil people in spite of the repentance that he's witnessed. And Jonah makes himself a shelter. He wasn't a very good carpenter, I don't think, Ray. He wasn't a good builder. And God chooses to use this situation to give Jonah an object lesson with a plant and a worm to demonstrate his love for created things. You see, Jonah's shade, this self-constructed shelter, obviously didn't offer much shade. So God provides a leafy plant, it's like a vine, to grow up and provide shelter and coolness for Jonah from the sun. And Jonah is greatly relieved. His anger subsides and for a short moment of time he is happy. However, that happiness is shortly eaten away and his anger returns. Jonah shows concern for a plant which he didn't tend or make and he feels cheated and upset. God is trying to teach Jonah a lesson. Jonah is more than happy to have God deliver him from the belly of a fish. Jonah is more than happy to have God provide him with a plant to shade him from the blazing sun. But he is not happy to have God deliver the Ninevites from their impending destruction. He doesn't share God's heart and care about what matters to God. Jonah is struggling to make sense of God. Have you ever struggled to make sense of God? Do God's ways ever seem unfair to you? Do you ever feel like you know better than God? Maybe your way is the best way? You know, our struggle with God is going to be different to Jonah's struggle with God. But what I love here is here we see a very authentic picture of somebody struggling to make sense of God. I think that's very human. The order of the world that Jonah knows is falling apart. All the foundational convictions of his worldview are being challenged. Fundamentally, his theology of God is being deconstructed through his conversation with God. The things that God is saying about the Ninevites, just they don't wash with the God that Jonah has in his mind. You see, for Jonah, God should not be the kind of God who forgives violently evil people, even if they repent. Evil should be punished, not forgiven. Justice, in order to be just, requires that people suffer the full consequences of their actions, regardless of whether they're repentant or not. The only way for justice to prevail in Nineveh, as far as Jonah is concerned, is for them to be destroyed. What Jonah has to come to terms with is how much God loves his creation. Even when his creation has become evil and wicked and broken. 
even when his creation is so far from what he originally intended, it is still his creation. The reader of Jonah is challenged to consider if God's concern is our concern. You see, Jonah had good theology. He was able to quote God's self-revealed nature. But this knowledge of God remained in his head, never moved to his heart. He was so destroyed, he just wanted to die. I began this morning by suggesting that chapter 4 is a chapter of contrasts between Jonah and God. Jonah is quick to anger. God is slow to anger. Jonah is um, unforgiving, impatient, wants justice. God is full of patience and mercy and forgiving. I want to finish with another contrast the contrast between Jonah and Jesus. Because there are a number of parallels we see between Jonah and Jesus. God gave both of them a mission. Jonah ran as far as he could. Jesus ran from heaven to earth, humbly from king to helpless babe submitting himself to the Father's will. Jonah preached a message of judgment. Jesus preached a message of grace and salvation. Jonah almost died for his own sins, but Jesus willingly died for the sins of the world. Jonah's ministry was to one city, Jesus' ministry was to all people for all time. He is the saviour of the world. Jonah's obedience was not from the heart, but Jesus always did that which pleased his father. Jonah didn't love the people he came to save, but Jesus had compassion for sinners and proved his love by dying for them on the cross. On the cross outside the city, Jesus asked God to forgive those who killed him. But Jonah waited outside the city to see if God would kill those who he couldn't forgive. The book of Jonah ends with a question. Verse 11. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? How Jonah responds to that question is unknown, but that is intentional because the question is no longer for Jonah. It is for you and I, the reader. How will we answer God's question about the number of people surrounding us in our city who are living in spiritual darkness. People without Christ in their lives are lost and living in darkness. And it is all too easy to become critical and condemning of those who do not share our values or our way of life 
we can become proud, self-seeking, arrogant. We can become like Jonah. Sometimes our response is to want to run as far away from them, from their lifestyles, from their choices, and not have anything to do with that which is so ungodly and evil. And remain in our safe, comfortable Christian bubble. But the message of Jonah robustly challenges this impulse and leaves us with this question. Will we share God's heart for the lost? A heart of great mercy and compassion. I pray that the answer will be yes. And that we as God's people and God's church here at Erina will join Jesus in his mission and life-changing message of love. And that, brothers and sisters, concludes Jonah running from grace. Shall we pray? God, on one hand, we just thrill and delight in your heart of mercy and compassion and forgiveness. Lord, when you bestow those qualities, those virtues, those gifts upon us, well, how can we not but give you thanks and praise? But Lord, when you extend those same gifts and qualities to those who have caused great harm and terror and abuse, well, we struggle with that. And our hearts can become prideful and arrogant. So, Father, I pray for the Jonah in each of us. That we might learn to share your heart of mercy and compassion and grace for all people, especially people who are so far from you, whose lives are tainted with evil and violence and darkness. We thank you, God, that love and light overcome evil and darkness. And I pray, God, that you would enable us, both as individuals but also as a community, to shine the light of your love brightly into our community, into our world, that we might see people coming to the saving knowledge and grace of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name and for your name's sake. Amen.